When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. And behold, a leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for a proof to them. When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. But the centurion replied, Lord, I'm not worthy to have you come under my roof, but only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go, and he goes, and to another, come, and he comes. And to my servant, do this, and he does it. When Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly, I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from east and west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven, while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And to the centurion, Jesus said, Go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. And when Jesus entered Peter's house, he saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever. He touched her hands, and the fever left her, and she rose and began to serve him. That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the spirits with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. This is the word of the Lord. It is absolutely true and given to us in love. Good morning. Uh, we're currently in our sermon series called uh, The Friends of Jesus, uh, where we look at Jesus' different interactions with people uh, throughout the Gospels and th- that are instructive for our everyday life as we seek as a community to become more like him and transformed by the Spirit in our union with him. So these past few weeks, we've looked at Jesus' interactions with the despised and the outcasts, the enemy, the condemned, and the doubting. And this morning, we're going to look at uh, uh, Jesus' interaction with three different people, but all that were hurting. And this morning, we're going to see that Jesus moves towards those that are hurting, and that we, all of us, in our own hurt, must look to Jesus for restoration from our own hurt as he moves towards us. Uh, some people say that, uh, or I've heard it say, that uh, the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. I, I think that that's like been proven false. Like that's not really the actual definition of insanity. Uh, but if it was, as a kid, I would have been insane. Um, I constantly was doing things that made me get hurt uh, often. One of those times, and some of you have heard this story, so I apologize. Uh, one of those times was when I was around eight or nine years old, um, and I was at the pool, and I was swimming, and every kid's worst fear is break time at the pool, right? Like when break comes, you have to get out of the pool and let the adults have it for whatever reason. Um, it's infuriating. And I got out of the pool, and I went to the playground, but I was too old to be at the playground, obviously, because I was like nine or whatever. Um, and my dad wanders over. 
And he says, also knowing that I was too old for this, he says, you think you can beat me up this? And this was uh, the swing set. And what he was pointing to was the two support beams that were holding up the swing set. He said, do you think that you could beat me to the top of that? And I said, I do think so. And so we raced. And I and my dad, at the same time, raced to the top of this swing set. The whole point was to touch the top, slide back down, first one to the bottom wins. Well, we're racing. My dad has maybe some age and some strength on me. But I have a lower center of gravity. You know, I I felt good about it. I'm getting close to the top. And I see that he's already sliding back down. Of which I'm furious. I was not going to lose this. So I touch the top and I start to slide down. He's getting close to the bottom. So I think to myself, I'll let go of my feet. And if I let go of my feet, I'll slide faster. Kind of like Batman style all the way down. Well, when I let go of my feet, I let go of my hands. Ten feet straight down. I did beat him, by the way. But instinctively, I put my hands out like this. Ten feet straight down. Left hand hits first. Went all kinds of ways. Let's just say, I don't want to get graphic with it, but it it broke pretty bad. And I'm laying there kind of writhing on the ground. And I'll never forget my dad... Um, though my mom swears it was her, one of them essentially jumped on me. And it was this moment where it was almost like they wanted their bodies to cover me in my hurt. They were so worried for me in that moment that there was nothing that was going to stop them from getting to me in my pain. And uh, I think that this is so instructive for us because imagine if whether it was my mom or my dad which i still don't remember correctly but imagine if they just kind of watched me they just were like oh he'll be okay or imagine they were like get up you'll be fine imagine they just left me kind of writhing there with my wrist going four different directions they would never ever the only thing they could think about in that moment was to move towards me as fast as they could. All of us here this morning are hurting in some way. We're struggling with hurts, some that are physical, some that are spiritual, some that are social or emotional. But we're all hurting. And what this passage in Matthew shows us is that Jesus moves towards us in our pain. He's moving towards us and wants to heal us and he wants to restore us. And in the same way that they moved toward me in my pain and hurt so that they could take me to the hospital so that my arm could be healed and restored, so too does Jesus move towards us in the same way. And we know this because the hurt and the pain and the brokenness that we feel is not the way that it's supposed to be. It's it's a part of the fall. It's It's a result of sin. And through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, the sting of that sin is beginning to be defeated. Jesus wants to and will restore all of this place the way it was always meant to be. And that goes for our hurt and pain as well. He moves towards us in it because that's who He is and what He's done for us and who He will always be. And we need that healing from our physical pain, our spiritual pain, and our social and emotional pain. But 
The healing that Jesus promises does not just heal our symptoms. He heals us as whole people. He heals and restores us to who we are always meant to be before the mark of sin. You see, our pain, our, pain, our hurt is never too big for him. And we see in this uh, passage that in each interaction with Jesus, um, that the hurt that each of them were feeling was not too big for him either. Each of these three interactions are going to kind of serve as a guide for us as we look at the different ways that Jesus moves towards us in our hurt. So our thesis today is that he does. He moves towards our hurt in an act of healing restoration. So we're going to see three different spheres in which this restoration plays out. First, we must look to Jesus for restoration from our spiritual hurt. Second, we must look to him for our restoration from our physical hurt. And third, we must look to him for restoration from our spiritual hurt. Um, That's social hurt on the first one. I think I said spiritual there, but social, it's right up there. All right, as we get into it, let's pray. God, thank you so much um, that you see us, that you see us in our pain, that you see us in our brokenness, and that you move towards us, God. So um, move towards us now as we go through your word and have your Holy Spirit puncture our hearts and open up our eyes to your your work um, and to the truths of your gospel. It's in your name we pray. Amen. So first, we must look to Jesus for restoration from social hurt. Verse 1 says this, When he came down from the mountain, great crowds followed him. Now, the mountain here is where Jesus had been teaching what we know of today as the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, It's kind of seen as the core of Jesus' teaching. But what I love about what Matthew does here is that just by saying he came from down from the mountain, he's wanting us to see something really important. He's wanting us to see that Matthew is linking the teaching of Jesus with the miracles of Jesus. This is an important thing for us to realize because the miracles that Jesus will go on to perform in this passage here, they're not party tricks to gain a following. They were serving a greater purpose and that purpose was to confirm the authority of his teachings on the Sermon on the Mount with the power of his actions. We're supposed to see his teaching and his healing work as a unified whole without separating the two. And these three different stories or or vignettes of healing that Jesus performs immediately after the Sermon on the Mount, um, each are different, but one thing that is the same about all of them is that they're all about people on the margins. These first three healing stories uh, were about a leper, a Roman centurion, and a woman, all people who were outcasts, oppressed or on the outside of society. So this is what's so cool about this linking of his teaching and his actions. When Jesus said on the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And when he said, you have heard what it is said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. And when he said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives and the one who seeks finds and to the one who knocks it will be opened he went and practiced all of those things that he had just said what an amazing act of following through with your word and that example is instructive for us especially for this point we must look to jesus for healing as social restoration to those who are socially marginalized oppressed or on the outside And we see this with the leper. 
And leprosy here could be any number of deadly or debilitating diseases. Uh, But the thing to realize is that the leper would have been most likely an Israelite. He would have been a Jew. And because of his skin condition, he was completely cut off from the people of God. Socially, the leper would have been ostracized and, and an outcast. All the benefits that came from being God's people, he would have been cast out of. Jewish custom even stated that to touch a leper would have made someone ceremonially, ceremonially unclean. So much so that they lived in colonies alone, away from their families, outside of community, and not even in their own houses. So in verse 2, it says, The leper came to him and knelt before him, saying, Lord, if you will, you can make me clean. So just picture this with me. Imagine the crowd parting because no one wanted to touch them lest they become unclean. Imagine the looks on their faces as this dirty outcast came and knelt in front of the man who had just preached so authoritatively to them. Who wowed them with his power and with his knowledge, but also with his compassion and his love. How was he going to respond? Verse 3 says that Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him, saying, I will be clean. And immediately his leprosy was cleansed. And their flesh touching is so, so crucial to this story. The uncleanness that all the rest of the Jews were scared of, Jesus did not catch. Instead, it was the leper who caught the cleansing, the restoration, and the health of Jesus. This simple touch reveals so much about Jesus. It shows his power, his authority, his greatness. But it also reveals his love. He loved the social outcasts, the powerless, those without authority, the nobodies. It was those that he came to redeem and restore. And verse 4 says, And Jesus said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest, and offer the gift that Moses commanded for proof to them. Funny enough, this might be the most important aspect of this whole story. Jesus told the cleansed man to go and show himself to the priest and to offer the gift that Moses commanded, which was a ceremonial offering when he became ceremonially unclean. And um, this was to authenticate that the healing had taken place uh, and to follow the law. But even more so, Jesus told him to go back to the priest because it would restore the formerly hopeless and unclean Jew back socially to who he was before the leprosy. This was an act of physical healing, yes, but it was much more than that too. It was a grand social act of restoration. Now that the man was clean, he could worship again in the synagogue. He could make sacrifices in the temple again for sin. He could go home to his family He could shop again in the market. He could walk the street with his kids. This was an act of physical healing, but it was also an act of social restoration. Here's what I love about this story for us. If we don't play out the social implications of the gospel, then we miss out on a major reason why Jesus came. The gospel is not just a ticket to salvation, but rather it's a restoration of all things. 
And our call is to partner with Jesus in his ongoing work of healing and restoration that has cultural, spiritual, and social implications. In this story, we can, we can learn from both as a community. We can learn from both the characters in it. We can learn what it means to follow Jesus' example as being an agent of social restoration. And we can learn what it means to follow the leper's example as being in need of social restoration ourselves. So first, we can follow Jesus' example in being an agent of social restoration. As a church, as, as Hope Chapel, this has vast implications for us. In years to come, here in Greensboro, as we seek the flourishing of the city. It means that we as a body are, are going to have to continue to be about the work of social restoration. We must continue to engage with the poor in our city, providing for the least of these. We must continue to champion the oppressed and fight against racism that is prevalent in our city and in our governmental structures and systems. We must continue to advocate for the unborn and protect the unborn in the womb. We must continue to fight against the misogyny that still plagues our culture today, both in institutions We must continue to look to prison reform and advocate for those thrown in jail for decades for petty crimes. We must continue to take in the refugee wisely and care for those who are seeking and needing a home. You see, these aren't political issues. These aren't hobby horses. These are gospel issues. There are areas of our society that are socially broken by the sin and the fall that are in need of restoration. And as the church, we have to champion these issues. We must move towards the people that are on the outside, that are marginalized and oppressed. We must move towards them because Jesus is moving towards them and they're hurt. This story shows us that Jesus cares about them deeply. He wants to restore them and he's in the business of doing it right now. Will we partner with him? Often I I hear it said... um, well, there's the gospel and there's social issues. Or, or there's the gospel and the acts of social restoration. But rather, what we see here is that social restoration is the gospel. At least in part, through the redeeming and restoring work of Jesus Christ. But we are not only to identify with Jesus in the story and follow his example. We, we also actually can and should identify with the leper too. We too were estranged from the people of God. We too were unclean and outcast. And yet, in our sin, Jesus moved towards us. He moved us that uh, hurt ourselves in our own sinfulness. Just as he did with the leper. And here's what's amazing. If you actually look at this story, the leper moved towards Jesus first. The leper had the audacity to cut through a crowd who couldn't and didn't want to touch him and be around him. The leper moved towards Jesus. He knelt down in a posture of humility and adoration. But he also kept his distance a little bit because of his his leprosy, calling Jesus Lord out of respect. He didn't know if Jesus could or would do what he was going to ask, but he hoped and he took a leap of faith. In the same way, There are some of you here this morning who, like the leper, feel on the outside here at Hope Chapel. There's some of you that feel isolated, disconnected, or like you don't fit here. 
That's real pain. Hear this this morning. Jesus is moving towards you in your hurt. He wants to meet you there, and and Hope Chapel is and can be a place for you. If you feel isolated and disconnected because of who you are, know that we do want you here. We want Hope to be a place of social restoration for all that walk in our doors. Just as much as we want our people to be on mission, partnering with Jesus in his social restoration here in Greensboro. And like the leper, you may have to take the first step into community. Talk to that person who's hurt you. Speak with leadership. It may cause you to have to take the first step. And that's a scary thing. There's no way around it. And it will call you to something. But it's worth it. All of us at times are lonely and isolated and and feel like we don't fit. But Jesus sees us in it. And he moves towards us in that pain. Will you meet him there and allow him to restore you? We move towards Jesus despite our hurt because he moved toward us first despite our sin. We move towards Jesus despite our hurt because he first moved towards us despite our sin. And that brings us to our second point. So we've seen that Jesus moved towards us in our hurt, so we must look to him for social restoration. Now we're going to see that we must look to him for restoration from our physical hurt and pain. So physical uh, restoration. Our second vignette shows Jesus healing a Roman centurion. It says in verse 5, When he had entered Capernaum, a centurion came forward to him, appealing to him, saying, Lord, my servant is lying paralyzed at home, suffering terribly. And he said to him, I will come and heal him. The first thing we should talk about is uh, just exactly what it meant that Jesus healed a Roman centurion's servant. The Romans were occupying Jerusalem at this time, and this centurion would have often taken part in what all that occupation entailed, whether it was force, brutality, violence. And even more, the centurions, were, they were the backbone of the Roman Empire. They were the most talented of all soldiers, and their word was law under Roman rule. So if a soldier under a centurion disobeyed an order, he wasn't disobeying the centurion. uh, He was disobeying the emperor of Rome itself. Their authority was directly tied to the very top of the command chain, not just of the army, but of the entire empire. And this is very important, and we'll come back to it later. But something else about the centurions is that they couldn't marry while they were serving their 20 years of service. So... This guy didn't have a wife or children. They weren't allowed to have a family. So this servant to the centurion was probably the closest thing to a family that he had. And the word that uh, is used in Greek is typically used for child or servant or, or beloved, or child or son or daughter or beloved servant rather than the normal doulos, which was used for servant or slave. He was implying that this servant was his family. And the pain that his servant was feeling from his paralysis, the centurion was feeling himself. That's how close they were. It's interesting. When he tells Jesus about his pain, his servant's pain, he doesn't ask him to heal him. He just kind of tells him the situation. And in the Greek, Jesus recognizes this, that he doesn't really ask him. So when Jesus says, I will come heal him, it's more of a question. It's kind of like, I'll come heal him? Like, is that what you're asking me? 
And the centurion responds like this. He says, Lord, I am not worthy to have you come under my roof. But only say the word and my servant will be healed. For I too am a man under authority with soldiers under me. And I say to one, go. And he goes into another, come. And he comes into my servant, do this. And he does it. See, the, the centurion grasps something about Jesus' authority that few others had. He, he was essentially saying, and what I said earlier about his authority, he was saying, my word is authoritative. Even authoritative with the full power of the emperor behind me. I know what authority looks like. But you, Jesus, your word, just your word, is authoritative with the full power of God behind it. I am a Lord and you are a Lord, the centurion says. I command and my soldiers obey, but you command and creation obeys. The centurion understood the connection between the authority of Jesus' word and the authority of his power. With a leper, it was important that he was touched. Symbolically and spiritually, becoming cleansed by the clean one through the literal touch of flesh. But with a centurion who knows true authority and what it looks like, Knows Jesus just needs to say the word and his beloved servant, his family, would be healed. Jesus responds like this. He marveled and said to those who followed him, Truly I tell you, with no one in Israel have I found such faith. I tell you, many will come from the east and will come from the west and recline at the table with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven while the sons of the kingdom will be thrown into outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And the centurion, Jesus said, go, let it be done for you as you have believed. And the servant was healed at that very moment. This response, Jesus marveling at his faith and goes on to say that he's never seen uh, anyone with such faith is so fascinating because he even cites Abraham and Isaac, and Jacob, Jesus in his divinity knew those fathers of the faith intimately. He had seen their great faith. He knew even David as a man after God's own heart. He knew even Noah and the faith that he would be saved from the waters. And Jesus is saying that this centurion had more faith than even all of them. What he's doing here is he's speaking extravagantly. He's using hyperbole on purpose to show us and his followers the type of faith that can be had in following Jesus Christ. He marveled because it's good to marvel at beautiful things. Dan Doriani puts it this way. Jesus knew how to keep marveling at wonderful things. A wonderful thing remains wonderful even if we experience it a thousand times. Strong faith, Jesus said, is a marvelous thing. And every single time someone is physically restored from their brokenness and their pain, it is a marvelous thing. It is a wonderful thing that we can celebrate, even if it happens a thousand times. Many of you this morning, like this servant, are hurting physically. Some of you are struggling with or have struggled with cancer. Some of you have debilitating diseases that you've been dealing with for years. Some of you have broken bones. Some of you are anxious and depressed emotionally that's causing a physical reaction in you. 
many of us this morning struggle to have a faith, an unswerving faith that Jesus wants to heal you. That he is moving towards us. But the healing that we can find in Jesus Christ is a physical restoration. I don't know why Jesus chooses to heal some and not others. I don't know why, other than the brokenness of this world, that some of you are in physical pain so bad this morning that you can't get out of bed. I know it's hard to wonder if Jesus will ever help you to speak the word of healing over you. And I wonder if the centurion had to wonder if Jesus would do that for him too. But the centurion came to him, bringing only his need, asking for mercy, and Jesus heard him. His trust and plea is our hope today. And uh, um, very, on this topic of which I feel woefully inadequate to talk about, in a very helpful email this week, Wendy Morrow said this about Jesus and healing. She said, I personally have the mindset, it's always a yes for healing until God says no. And he is in charge of the no, and we just don't really know why. At that point, it really is a matter of trusting the mercy like we do with his timing and his gifts. We don't always get what we want, though, when we want it, if at all. The one thing we can hope in and through our physical hurt and pain is that Jesus is moving towards us in it. And part of his movement could be restoration. And that is our hope and that is our plea every day. Luke tells this story and adds a few details in his gospel account about it. He, he says uh, that the centurion was a good man. He had Jewish friends that advocated for him, uh, that interceded with Jesus on his behalf, telling him about his worthiness, uh, that he even helped build a synagogue for the Jews, which is still standing today, 2,000 years later in Capernaum. But Matthew chose not to reveal any of those things for us at all. I think Matthew wants us to see this centurion for who he is. A man, a leader, an authoritative, talented presence in an occupying and brutal army in a place of power and position who is also a man that was in deep need of help and grace. He comes to Jesus with not his works, not his good deeds, not his authority, his past, nothing but his need. He comes to Jesus laid bare. A sinful and broken man pleading for someone he loved. I think Matthew wants to remind us that God gives his grace freely whenever he wills it. And sometimes to the last person we expect or the last second that we would expect. So if you're struggling with the frustration right now from your physical pain and hurt, my encouragement to you is to bring it to the feet of King Jesus. Allow yourself to be laid bare before him. There is no promise of healing in this today, right now. But there is promise of healing in the kingdom of God. That one day, one day in God's kingdom, when Jesus returns, every tear will be wiped away. Every pain will be gone. Every hurt will be paid for through the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So we can hope and plead for healing now with the full assurance that it can come today and it will come one day. All of us who have faith in Jesus Christ can expect substantial healing in this life, whether it's right now or in the future. Cling to that hope.
That brings us to our final point. So we've seen that Jesus moves towards us in our hurt. Therefore, we must look to him for restoration in our social hurt and in our physical hurt. And now we're going to see that we must look to him for restoration in our spiritual hurt. So we come to our our final vignette and story. Verse 14 says this, Jesus entered Peter's house. He saw his mother-in-law lying sick with a fever and touched her hand. And the fever left her and she rose and began to serve him. Now, if you just read this uh, uh, on the surface, it could seem like uh, Jesus healed her so she could serve him, right? So does Jesus heal so that, uh, out of obligation, so now that we serve him? Jesus didn't heal Peter's mother-in-law so that she could make him dinner. He healed her out of compassion and deep love for her. Matthew goes on in verse 16 and says, That evening they brought to him many who were oppressed by demons, and he cast out the Spirit with a word and healed all who were sick. This was to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah. He took our illnesses and bore our diseases. Matthew is doing something so important here. He is linking the physical healing of Jesus with the spiritual healing as well. He quotes the servant song from Isaiah 53 saying that Jesus came to take our illnesses and bear our grief on his back. He does this right after he heals Peter's mother-in-law and he drives out demons. And he does this to show us that our healing, whether it's social, whether it's physical, whether it's emotional, it is all deeply spiritual. There are some of you here this morning that are deeply hurting spiritually. You've had a leader in a church hurt you. You've had a friend or mentor or even family member who on a spiritual level has abused you or hurt you. There may not be any deeper hurt than spiritual hurt. And what Matthew is saying is that we have a God who became man. And we have a Savior in Jesus Christ who not just wants to move towards us in our physical or social pain, but even in our spiritual pain. So much so that he went to the cross willingly and he was bruised and battered and he became an outcast for us. But even more, he took on our spiritual pain that came from our own sinfulness. He took that on himself. Isaiah 53 said that he bore it for us. So that we could be saved. So if you're here this morning and you are feeling that spiritual hurt, know that Jesus isn't just moving towards you, though he is. He experienced that spiritual hurt on your behalf as well. And he mourns for you in it. And he wants to save you in it. He wants to restore that broken piece of you for his glory. And so that you can go out on mission for other people that are spiritually hurting and broken and partner with him and their restoration as well. You see, as God's people, we can be a people on mission for spiritual restoration ourselves. It's part of our calling. That is part of our calling here at Hope Chapel as well. When I was um, having my arm set, so it was broken, right? And they had to set it like something like nine times. And um, it was in one of those like things where like held it in the right place. And they tried to, so I, I was asleep. I don't remember any of it. Um, 
But apparently my dad uh, fainted as he watched them, uh, as he watched them try to set my arm. And they had to put him on a, a, you know, a bed as well. So we're both sitting there next to each other. But what I think is so funny about that is that uh, my dad essentially felt my pain so much that he fainted. That's how much he felt it. And I feel like every time that my daughter, the other day she fell off our porch face first and bumped her head. I never understood what it meant to feel someone else's pain until moments like that. And our good and loving Father sees us and feels our pain too. And he sees and feels your pain too. So much so that he died for you. So much so that he rose again. That is our hope and our brokenness and our pain this morning. My encouragement to you is Jesus Christ is moving towards you in your hurt and in your pain. Will you meet him there and move towards him as well? Amen.